Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. Welcome to The Great Adventure, the second part of the book of Acts. We've been studying um, the wonderful parts of the book of Acts. We want to welcome our uh, podcast listeners. We have about 200 podcast listeners that listen to Bayshore. We're so grateful for the podcast listeners that are so faithful to listen to our, uh, our services. Thank you for being a part of that. Also, we had live stream last week. We had about 300 people listening last week during our Facebook Live. And we had uh, uh, Joe Atalette from Ocean Pines. Thank you for listening from Ocean Pines, Joe. And also Antoinette Sands from Alabama. And uh, we're just so grateful for our, our, for our uh, Facebook Live community. And uh, right now, people are watching on Facebook. Let's give our Facebook Live a community uh, welcome. Thank you for being a part of today's service. It's our dream that you come to Bayshore and visit us and experience the whole experience. We're so grateful that you're exploring Bayshore through Facebook. So thank you for being a part of that. We are uh, in the book of Acts where we are looking at Paul's missionary journeys, where he's uh, reaching out, he's a pioneer, he's uh, planting churches, he's doing all these amazing things. And we get to Acts chapter 16 and we see these uh, really incredible things that, uh, the, that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is doing. And we get to meet somebody new uh, in Acts chapter 16. Let me read uh, the, the, the passage here, short passage, Acts 16, verses 1 through 5. Here's what uh, it says. He, speaking of Paul, he came to Derby and then to Lystria, where the disciple, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, but Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. And let's read uh, a couple verses from 2 Timothy. That uh, these uh, Paul wrote two letters to Timothy, who we met in uh, Acts chapter 16 here. Here's what it says in 2 Timothy 1.5. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, speaking, Paul speaking to Timothy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Well, we get into this uh, part of the book of Acts, and we learn about Paul, you know, introducing these new people that are part of his ministry. Second missionary journey, we have a brand new team that Paul is establishing. He's setting up a new team. The first team consisted of, of uh, Barnabas and John Mark, and that's kind of changed. Now he has these new people. He has Silas, who's a prophet, and then he, has, uh, uh, he brings Timothy into the story. 
Now, my wife Karen is reading a John Grisham novel right now, and I can remember which one it is, but if you've read a John Grisham novel, John Grisham is really great at, uh, at, at grabbing your attention early in that first chapter, and then throughout the early part of the book, he introduces new characters, and you get kind of tied into all these characters. In the, in the Gospel of Luke and also in, the, uh, in Acts, where Luke is the author, he does that method where he introduces characters throughout the book of Acts. A new character comes into the story. So today we have this guy by the name of Timothy that comes into the story. And Timothy's a young man, and I love the name Timothy. Timothy's important to me because I named one of my sons Timothy. And the reason I named my son Timothy, I was taking Greek at the time. I was in Bible college when Karen was pregnant, when Timothy was born. And I'm trying to figure out, we're all trying to figure out what to name our son. He was our first child. And so we're trying to figure that out. I'm in Greek class, and the professor is teaching Greek verbs, and he teaches us on tamao, which is a word that means I honor, tamao. And I remember, I love that word. You know, we learned it in the different tenses, you know, the second tense, the third tense. We learned all that. And tamao means I honor. And then he said that tamao theo, which means I honor God, is where we get the word Timothy from. So I went home and told Karen, I said, I love that name. How about if we consider naming our son Timothy? So we did. We named my first son Timothy. Timothy uh, means I honor God. So he's a little boy. I, uh, I'm talking to Tim as he's playing Little League, as he's growing up, and I said, hey, Tim, your name means I honor God, and we just talked about that, and now he's, you know, he's a big, you know, builder, and he's involved in, with all these sector people in Rehoboth, and uh, we just had Bible study this last week, him and uh, I and his brother, and uh, we had a little lunch Bible study, and that whole idea about his life honoring God in the community is a part of, of what we raised him to do, so Timothy is a really cool name. It means I honor God. And Paul chose Timothy. Now, here's the thing about Timothy. Timothy is a person that's going to be in Paul's life the rest of his life. He's going to be in Paul's life the entire part of his life. I mean, you're not going to see Timothy come and go, but Timothy is going to be with Paul throughout the rest of his life. When he met Timothy, when Paul met Timothy on his first missionary journey, when he met him, and perhaps that's when Timothy became a Christian, his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois became Christians, and Timothy became a Christian. That's when Paul met him. And Paul met Timothy then, and then when he came back the second time, he brought Timothy into his team. Uh, Timothy is going to be a part of Paul's life the rest of his life. And I think God puts certain people in our life that are part of our life permanently. They're, they're not, you know, they're not faders. Some people in your life, they kind of they come into your life and they fade out. But there are certain people that are part of your life that are always a part of your life. That they're consistently a part of your life. Timothy's going to be in jail with Paul. He's going to be in jail. Uh, three of the, uh, what's called the prison epistles, Colossians, Philippians, and the book of Philemon. Uh, those are what's called the prison epistles. When Paul writes those epistles, Timothy's name is included in the letter which indicates that he's with Paul in prison. So he's, he's standing with Paul. He loves Paul. He's loyal to Paul. Paul said about Timothy in the book of Philippians, there's nobody else like Timothy. He's like a son to me. I love him like my own son. So there's this special relationship. So I want to encourage you to make sure that you treasure those relationships in your life that are permanent, those people God puts in your life that are a permanent part of your, life, of your, of your relationships. 
I remember this week uh, I went down and bought a, bought a basketball system from Dick's Sporting Goods Store. Actually, I've been wanting a basketball system to shoot hoops, and so I was, uh, I've been watching this, uh, this particular basketball system, and it went on sale. What they were doing is they were getting rid of the floor model, so I got half price. So uh, I went down there one day with half price, so I bought this thing. So I had to get one of my friends to come and help me load that thing up. So I loaded up the, you know, we loaded up this basketball system and brought it home. And uh, so I asked him, how much it cost us? Would you, how much would you charge me to set this thing up for me? Four hundred and twenty-five dollars. Four hundred twenty-five dollars. Have you got? You got it. You have you lost your mind? Four hundred twenty-five dollars. <laughs> so like I'm on YouTube trying to figure out how to how to put this basketball system in. You know, you know, on YouTube you can learn how to do brain surgery. On YouTube you can learn anything. <laughs> so I go on YouTube and figure out you know how to do this, and they show this guy you know. And, you know, somewhere, and he's, he's doing it, and his wife's videotaping him, and, 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 and so you got to pour, you got to dig a hole about eight, uh, not eight feet, but about four feet deep, and you got to have eight or nine bags of cement. Then after you put the cement in, you put rhubar. You have these long rhubar uh, bars that you put into the cement, and there's four of them, and you kind of push them down in the cement, and they keep the cement from cracking. And you know, God puts certain people in your life like rhubar. They're in cement in your life. They're going to stay in your life. They're going to be with you through thick and thin. They're going to be with you when you're middle age. They're going to be with you when you're old. They're going to be with you, and they're going to be faithful to you. And we all need that. And Paul had Timothy in his life like that. I have people in this church that have been in this church for 37 years. I've been here about 37 years. People that have been here for 37 years, uh, been with me through thick and thin, and uh, I love preaching to people like that. I love people that have just been here a few months. I love people that have been here a few years, but it's just very special to me, people that just have buried their bones in this church and say, we're going to be a part of this church, and we're going to build a church, and we're going to reach this community, and you need people like that that are going to be faithful to you and stand with you, and so we all need it. So Timothy was that to Paul. Now, here's what's interesting about Timothy. Timothy did not come from a perfect Christian family. He did not come from a perfect Christian family. Uh, What we know about Timothy is we know that his mother was a Christian, Eunice. We know his grandmother was a Christian, Lois. But it says specifically in uh, the book of Timothy that his father was a Greek. It says his, his mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek which indicates that his father did not follow Jesus. His father was a Gentile, unconverted Gentile. And so Timothy's life was not like this. It was not like that when Timothy was singing in the youth choir in church, that his dad and his mom were holding hands in the pew rooting for him. That's not his life. His life was his mom took him to church, and his dad stayed home with a six-pack and watched the races on TV. That's the situation where his dad was out on the bass boat. His dad did not love Jesus. His dad did not follow Jesus. And Timothy comes out of this environment where he doesn't have a father, a spiritual father figure, and yet God is at work in his life, and God is working in his life. It's wonderful if you grew up in a Christian home. It's wonderful if your mom and dad were Christians, and they brought you to church, and you went to a Christian school. It's wonderful if you had that environment. But let me tell you something. Some people don't have that environment, and yet God still 
has his hand on them and he's working in them. And God doesn't have to have a perfect Christian environment for somebody to come up and become a great person in the Lord. Can you say a big amen? amen? So what we have about Timothy is we have Timothy who became the bishop of Ephesus and his father was an unbeliever. His father was not a solid Christian man. His father was an unbeliever. Karen and I went to see uh, the movie on Friday night called The Race. Uh, and uh, we didn't know anything about this movie. We go to the movies every Friday night. So we were going on our smartphone trying to find a movie worth watching. And uh, we read the little you know, you know, thing on this movie. And it's called The Race. It looked pretty good. We didn't know. It was a Christian movie. It was uh, uh, produced by Tim Tebow. Some of you know who Tim Tebow is. So we went to see this movie. And this movie... Uh, it was a really, really good movie. It's about this, this, these two boys that uh, they're teenage boys. They're in high school, and their their mother died of cancer when they were younger, and their father was an alcoholic, and their godmother is helping them. These boys go to school, go to high school, and they go to uh, high school, and then at night they work at a grocery store and they pay the rent, and they live in this sort of uh, very dysfunctional situation. And the one boy, let me show you a picture of these boys. This is Zach here. Uh, Zach hates his father, hates his father because his father left him and left his brother Dave when, uh, when their mother died of cancer. And the father became an alcoholic, couldn't deal with the pressure, was drowning in his own sorrow, left his sons. And, uh, and so this boy, Zach, hates his father and is a very cynical about God. Now, Dave, here's Dave. Dave is a Christian. He loves Jesus. He carries his Bible to church. He goes with his godmother to church, and he's uh, just faithful to Jesus. And so you, you see these two boys growing up, and you see the things they're going through. And their dream is, is we're going to, you know, Zach is a great football player, all-American football player. And the dream is, is that uh, he's going to, you know, get a great scholarship, and they're going to get him. They're gonna, both are going to get out of this little depressed town in Florida. So what happens in the story, of course, and I want to be a spoiler for it, but, you know, God's at work. This boy has seizures. He's having all kinds of problems physically, and uh, Zach gets injured, so it looks like their dreams are going down the tube, and then uh, Dave becomes a cross-country runner and all that. But at the end of the story, God works in these boys. This boy, already, Dave, already knows Jesus, but Zach comes to a point where he meets Jesus, and he becomes a Christian and follows Jesus. So... I thought of this when I was watching this movie. I was thinking about how God takes a very disconnected or dysfunctional context where you, have, you don't have all the right pieces in your life, and yet God is still at work, and there's grace at work, and God's at work even when there's a situation where there's not uh, everything like it's supposed to be. So maybe some of you came here today and, and you know, you didn't have that background. You didn't have, you didn't have the mom or you didn't have the dad that have pure faith and they were following the Lord. And, and you feel like, you know, you don't have all that context. Let me tell you something. God is still at work in your life. You're like a Timothy. Even though you didn't have the perfect upbringing, God still is at work in your life. Now, I had a good friend in high school. I've talked about him many times. Uh, Sammy Fisher was uh, my best friend in high school. Sammy, uh, his family was totally different than my family. My dad was a preacher, uh, Methodist. We were Methodist. Uh, my mom was a Christian. Uh, my sisters were Christian. We had a Christian dog. I mean, we were all Christians. <laughs> we were just, we had a Christian family. And I'm grateful for that. But my best friend Sammy, his mom did not know Jesus. 
His dad did not know Jesus. And I'd go over hanging out at his house, and there was a, it was a whole different environment. Whole different environment. There's, you know, liquor everywhere. There's all kinds of stuff. There's smoking, and there's all kinds of language I'd never heard before. It was quite interesting to me to be in that environment. And uh, I remember going to Sammy's house and being a part of that. And I would share my faith with Sammy, share my faith with Sammy. And then one day, Sammy uh, put his faith in Jesus, became a Christian. And we walked in. We were actually playing Sandlot football. Uh, walked by the Methodist church my dad pastored. And Sammy said, let's go in and pray. And uh, he went in and I led Sammy to the Lord. We're freshman in high school. He became a Christian. And then he, he followed the Lord all through high school. Uh, we took our Bibles to school. And uh, we, we, we started a prayer group. We had about 20 people in our prayer group. We met before school, and we'd pray together. And here's Sammy. His mom doesn't know Jesus. His dad doesn't know Jesus. And, and he's, he's totally surrounded by a sector environment. And uh, he, just, he keeps following Jesus all through high school. He follows Jesus, and, and we hang together. We follow Jesus. He goes to college. He goes to Lee College in uh, Cleveland, Tennessee. Sammy doesn't have any support from his family. So what he does is he works a semester, and he goes to school for a semester. He works a semester, and he goes to school for a semester. It took him twice as long to get through college because he had to work a semester to pay for a semester, and then he just worked his way through, high, worked his way through Lee College. He graduated, went into ministry, and his first church was in, uh, in Manowar uh, Island, Nassau Island, in the Bahamas. And I had a little issue with the Lord about that. I said, you know... <laughs> I said, I led him to the Lord. I go to Gumburn. You send him to Nassau. You know, the Bible said it. Seemed like something was missing there. But anyhow. But he preached there. And, and then he went. He was in uh, Rose Height Church of God in uh, Tyler, Texas. Big church in Tyler. And then he started a church in Tyler. And I preach in Tyler about twice a year. And I want to show you a picture of, of Sammy's, uh, Sammy's family. Sammy's a first-generation Christian. First Christian in his family. And here is uh, his family. This is his wife, Yvette. She's from Michigan. He met her at Lee College. He married her. This is his son, uh, Bradley. Bradley's uh, like a physician's assistant at a big hospital in Tyler. Bradley leads worship on Sunday morning at the church that Sammy pastors. And uh, he's a wonderful worship leader. His wife, Ashley, stands beside him and, and leads worship. So here's Sammy's son, uh, Sammy was the first generation Christian. Now his son is a Christian and his daughter-in-law is a Christian. And this is his daughter, Taylor. Taylor's a, a, a physical therapist. Taylor's a, a volleyball player in college, really beautiful girl. She married Dalton, who's a football player. And when I preach on Sundays down in Tyler, Texas, there on this side is Dalton and Taylor sitting there. They're loving Jesus. There, there's uh, Bradley and Ashley on the stage. They come off the stage. They've been serving Jesus. Then all these grandkids. This is, uh, this is Jack here, and this is Noah, and these kids are going to obviously follow Jesus. I just, I just think about, when I think about Timothy, and I think about his life, I think about Sammy Fisher how God can take an imperfect environment and He can change a person's destiny and do something great in their life. Maybe you're a first-generation Christian. Maybe you're the first person in your family to follow Jesus. But God can do mighty things in your life. So we have this, we have, uh, this story of Timothy's parents. We have, we have uh, Eunice, his mother, and then we have his father. We don't know his name, but we know his father was not a Christian his father was a Greek, was a Greek. 
Now, let's just talk a little bit for the remaining moments I have here today. Let's talk about what do you do when you have a mixed marriage, when you have a mixed marriage, when you have a one person who comes to church, one person who follows Jesus, and one person who does not come to church and does not follow Jesus. Uh, I know some of you are sitting together with your spouse today, and you come every Sunday with your spouse, but there's also every Sunday in our church people that come where their spouse does not come because they're in a blended situation. So what does... What is a Christian supposed to do in that situation? So here's, here's something that for us to think about. First of all, uh, Paul's, uh, when he's writing to Timothy and he's writing about Paul's mom and dad, Eunice and whatever the husband's name was, he was writing to a typical situation in the early church. A typical situation in the early church because there was a lot of people in the early church where one spouse became a Christian and another spouse did not become a Christian. So what do you do in those relationships? How do you deal with that? So uh, Paul was writing a letter to the church of Corinth and Corinth had sent him a list of questions and one of the questions that was asked Paul by the church of Corinth was, what should we do if our spouse is not a Christian? And they were wondering, should we stay together or should we leave the person that's not a Christian? So here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 10. And uh, let's read it together here. Here's what it says. To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. Where it says, not I but the Lord. You see where it says, uh, to the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. What does that mean? What that means is, is that Paul, when he's writing this, Jesus has already addressed that issue. So we have in Matthew, we have in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, we have, uh, we have Jesus already addressing the issue of divorce. So when Paul says, uh, not I, but the Lord, he's saying that, that Jesus has already addressed it, and he's reinforcing what Jesus said in the Gospels. To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband. Next verse. But if she does... She must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. So basically he says, you know, if you're in a uh, blended situation, it's really bad. It says that, you know, you can leave, but you can't be on the hunt for somebody else. Verse 12, verse 12 says, to the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. Why did he say, no, he didn't say the Lord, not I. This time he says, I, not the Lord. The reason he says, I, not the Lord here is because this is an issue Jesus didn't address. Now Paul's talking about, he's given some more guidance to this. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. Now verse uh, 13, and if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. Next verse, for the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So what does the Scripture say here? What does the Scripture says here, first of all, is if you're in a blended... Here's their question. Do, I, do we leave an unbelieving spouse? Uh, the question Paul addressed, no. Uh, he, honors, he honors the institution of marriage. Even if two unbelievers get married, God honors that covenant that they made with each other. That's a very important covenant. It's important for us to remember the first institution that God ever ordained uh, in the scriptures. You go to the 
the, the first book of the Bible, go to Genesis. The first institution was not the government. It was not, uh, it was not the church. It was not the school system. The first institution that God ordained was the, was the family. He, Adam and Eve came together, and they, they were the first institution. So God honors marriage. That's a very, very important thing. So that's the first thing. The first thing is you, if you have an unbelieving uh, spouse who doesn't love Jesus, doesn't follow Jesus, uh, he's, at, he's telling them, hey, listen, here's what you need to do. You need to stay without spouse. Now, here are the qualifications. If you've got an abusive situation, you've got somebody abusing you, uh, not treating you right, run for us, run. That's not, uh, never, never stay in that. That's a bad, bad thing. But generally speaking, this is a general guideline from Scripture, if you're married and your, per, your husband or your wife is not a Christian, they're not following Jesus, then you stay right with them. Now, why does he say that? Uh, he says that because of what's in verse 14. Put verse 14. Uh, here it is already. It's amazing. Uh, For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through the believing husband. What the world does that mean? I mean, I looked at that for years. What does that mean? It almost seems to say, like, if your wife's a Christian, everybody's a Christian in the family. Or if the husband's a Christian, everybody's a Christian in the family. But it can't be teaching that because we know that, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord is saved has to be an individual. So what does it mean? The word sanctified there means to be set apart for a special purpose. To be set apart for a special purpose. So here's what I think that means. I think that means that if you're a Christian and your husband is not a Christian, you're the wife and your husband is not a Christian, you stay with that person because the Lord has given you the unique opportunity to minister and to have influence on your unbelieving husband. That you're supposed to have influence on your unbelieving husband. So he's been set apart. He's been given this special privilege to have a front row seat to see a person who knows Jesus. And if you pull away from that person, then that person doesn't have the vantage point of seeing a Christian up close like they normally would if you stay with them. So it's important. So you become a missionary to that uh, family environment. You become, uh, they get the front row seat. They get to see... Uh, an unsaved husband who's married to a, a godly woman who loves Jesus, uh, he gets to see up close uh, Jesus at work in a human being. And every day he sees the work of God. Or an unsaved uh, wife who has, an un, uh, has a saved husband, a Christian husband, she gets to see the grace of God working on that husband, and she gets to see it up close. Get to see it up close. Your unsaved spouse has a front row seat to see God at work. And that's what it means to be sanctified and set apart, in my opinion. So Karen and I, this summer, some, some of our friends that have been to this church for 40 years, they invited us to go to a concert in uh, Philadelphia, the Phillies Stadium where the Phillies play. And James Taylor was going to be in concert. And I love James Taylor. Anybody out there love James Taylor? Love James Taylor, Carolina on my mind right now. I love it, James Taylor. And, uh, you know, I just love James Taylor. And the Eagles are going to be there. So our friends bought us tickets, and they said, you want to go? And, wow, we want to go. We love James Taylor, and we love free tickets. So <laughs> we went, and we love our friends. There was like six or seven couples from Bayshore that we've been knowing each other for 40 years. We all went. And, uh, and the tickets, you know, I couldn't complain because they were free tickets. But those tickets, they, we were sitting at the very top, very top. You know where the flags are? That's where we were. We were ducking airplanes the whole time. I mean, I think James Taylor was on the stage. I'm not sure. 
And it was like looking at a big picture and listening to a CD of James Taylor. And we were like so far away. But you know, when, when you are living Jesus before your spouse, they're not sitting in the nosebleed section of Christianity, but they're sitting on the front row and they're getting to see Jesus up close. And they get to see Jesus up close. Because I believe that when a person becomes a follower of Jesus and they become a Christian, God makes you better at everything. God makes you a better citizen when you love Jesus. God makes you a better worker when you love Jesus. God makes you a better friend when you love Jesus. And certainly God makes you a better spouse when you love Jesus. You know, God's been speaking to me, you know, about, you know, being a better spouse as a, you know, my, my walk with Jesus includes my being a better husband. So because I love Jesus, Jesus is always working on me about being a better husband. One of the things that we've been working on, you know, I've been working on, I don't know, what, do you have a rule in your family about who makes the bed? Do you have one of those rules about who makes the bed? We have one of those rules. Our rule is who's ever out of the bed last makes the bed. So we're getting up in the middle of, light sleep, middle of the night sleeping on the floor and all that. You know, it's just. <laughs> but we have this thing. Now, I'm a little confused on the policy about this because, you know, sometimes Karen can't sleep. So she gets up and sleeps in the other room in the middle of the night. And so we're having this big debate. What does that mean? Do you still do I? You know, because you're not in the bed anymore. If you're in any bed, do you have to make the beds? How does that work? But, you know, the Lord's just been tapping me on the shoulder about that. You know, hey, listen. Hey, you need to make the bed, big boy. Just make the bed. Be a godly husband. So I've been, I've been getting up and making the bed. And sometimes there's a little lump in it where I cover Karen up, but I'm making the bed. <laughs> because, hey, listen, if you're following Jesus, it should make you better at everything. And so I've been, you know, making the bed. And, of course, I don't get any credit for it before the Lord because I just told you that. I get no credit for this. But it's just uh, it's part of being a better, a better husband. Let's put this a diagram on the board here about uh, uh, spouses, unconverted spouses. Look at this. A Christian spouse can either be a negative influence on their non-Christian spouse. That means browbeating. Why don't you come to church? Why don't you, you know, be more like the deacons in church? Why don't you do this? Browbeating, they become judgmental or, you know, critical and demanding and you know, why are you drinking so much beer? Why are you doing this? Just always kind of like, you know, jumping on their you know, spouse about that and giving them a hard time. You can become a negative example or you can become a positive example where you become full of grace. And I, I, and I don't mean to say that if they're alcoholic and they're not treating you right, that you don't stand up for that and all that. But I'm generally speaking here, you become not a judgmental, but a loving, serving caring, compassionate, just a little picture of what Jesus is like. You become a little picture of Jesus in your house, and you become a positive influence. The reason that this person, non-Christian spouse, is sanctified, they are set apart for Christian influence. They get a front row seat to see Jesus at work in, in their life. Now, I was a uh, on Facebook yesterday, and I just happened to go on in the morning, and I saw a, a wonderful uh, uh, feed on Tara Hoyt, Tara Monroe Hoyt's line. Tara used to come to church here, was raised in this church. 
Her uh, dad is Tom Monroe, who sang on the stage here today, and Jody, of course, is our Next Step director. And uh, Tara put this little, little uh, uh, feed, and let me just read to you what she put about her husband, Peter. Now, Tara is about 25, 26, 27 years old. She's a millennial, and she's, uh, they graduated from college in Philadelphia where she met Peter, and they got married, and they have a little daughter named Luna. And uh, reflecting, here's what she wrote, reflecting on how thankful I am for my hubby who helped us get through this week. Luna was sick on Tuesday, and I got sick on Thursday with some sort of deathly stomach bug. Peter was such a good husband and got us through, and this picture makes my heart melt. That's from a millennial. Two, two, two millennials that got married that their life is centered on Jesus, and Jesus is making them better spouses. And here's a picture that she was referring to, uh, Peter walking their little, uh, little daughter, Luna. And uh, isn't that a great picture? And I tweeted, uh, I tweeted uh, you know, Tara back, and I said, Tara, is it okay for me to tell the story? And she said, absolutely. And uh, I wrote her back. I said, Tara, I am so proud of you, and Bayshore Community Church is so proud of you for being a wonderful model for millennial couples to your generation. A wonderful uh, couple that's following Jesus, they're millennials. And she wrote back, she said, well, you know why uh, we're that way? It's because we were raised in such a good church. And I said, whoa, that felt really good right there. <laughs> Here's another picture of, of their family there, wonderful family. I love this. When I see millennials that, you know, Raised in the, in the generation they're raised in, and Peter is a Christian boy, loves Jesus. His parents were missionaries. Uh, Tara was raised here. And, and God is making Peter a better husband every day. He's becoming a better husband so he can have positive influence on his family. So here's what, here's what it means to follow Jesus. What it means to follow Jesus is, is to become better at everything. One more, one more scripture today, First uh, Peter chapter 3. This is a little tricky one, and we don't have time to untangle all the bob wires around this one. 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands. And then we choke on that. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Your own husband, not just men in general. Uh, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Let me just say this real quickly, what I believe about you know, Karen and I joke about this all the time. She called me the other day. She was, uh, yesterday actually, she called, uh, she called and she was uh, down here helping clean the church up uh, for the weekend with the staff. And, and uh, she called, she said, I want to meet my sister to go have lunch with my Aunt Ruby. And I said, get yourself home right now. I want you home right now. She laughed because I knew she wasn't going to listen to that. So anyhow, we just, uh, <laughs> we just, we just get about that. Listen, the Bible says, submit yourselves one to another. And what this submission thing means, and that we don't have, this is, like a, this is like a whole series we need to talk about this. Submission means it means to order yourself under. God's a God of order. And it means that give and take, talking and sharing and all of that. And uh, like, instance, for instance, the other day at our staff meeting, we had this big debate about stuff. Should we have care, uh, child care for our, for our uh, marriage conference? Went this big thing. All our staff people were all weighing in. And we just talked about it. And I said what I thought. And then we all talked about it. And then we just all talked about it. Very free exchange. We just talked about it. And then the finally said, well, Pastor Danny, what are we going to do? And I said, it is written. 
And that's what we did. So we talked about that. So that's how a good relationship works. Sometimes in a huddle, in a football huddle, somebody has to call the play. But everybody's involved in the process. So that's my quick version on, on that tricky word, submit there. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that, here's the point of the verse, though, so that, have a great attitude, be sweet. And, you know, here, let me just, like, I'm all into trouble right now, so let me just say some more things. Uh, and, you know, there's nothing, this, I should not say this, but I'm going to go out here and say it right now because I'm going home and eat lunch right after this. You know what I think, there's, there's one of the most unappealing things is, is people that are angry and independent and ugly about things. Uh, my wife is the most beautiful woman, not because she's just physically knocked down gorgeous, but the sweetness of her spirit is what makes her so beautiful. And there's something about just angry, mean, gonna hate every man in this world, women, that just takes away their beauty. And the beauty, sometimes beauty comes from not just the outside, but the spirit, the sweetness of the spirit there. So there I am. I'm way out on that one. So Pray for me that I get another job. Anyhow, here we go. <laughs> Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husband. Here, here's the point. This was the point I was trying to get to. And the, submit yourselves to your husband so that if any of them do not believe. How do you influence an unbelieving spouse? So if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. So you win your un converted spouse, not by preaching at them and telling them they need to do this and all that. You win them over not by words, but by your spirit of love and service. That's for the husband toward the wife, and it's toward the wife toward the husband. So that's very important. So say this with me before we come to an end here. Uh, say this with me. Uh, uh, we are made better spouses because of Jesus. So what Jesus, Jesus in your life should make you better. Make sure you make you a better husband, more servanthood toward your wife. If your wife, great attitude toward your husband. So if you have an unsafe spouse, stay with them. It says here, you know, unless there's abuse and all that. Uh, stay with them, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7. Um, you, they have a front row seat to seeing God's grace in your life and win them without words but by your behavior and finally pray for them every day pray for them every day the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much when karen was uh, a little girl she was growing up, growing up in her family her mom was a sunday school teacher her mom loved jesus her mom served the lord but her dad did not go to church her dad was uninterested in church and so um her mom just kept, her mom was just a wonderful servant, loved her, loved her husband and went to church and took Karen to church and all that. And uh, as, as Karen's dad got o older, we're all praying for him. And Karen had a dream when we were in Bible college. The dream was this. She said that she and her family, they were under this big tree in the middle of this pasture and there was a big storm coming in the dream. And she said everybody in her family was under the tree. And the storm was coming, and Karen sort of knew in the dream that that storm represented the end times and the judgment of God and sort of the end of all things. And she's under the tree. I'm under the tree. Her sister and my brother-in-law are under the tree. Her brother and his wife are under the tree. All the cousins are under the tree. And then her, her dad was running across the pasture in the dream.
He ran across the pasture and he got under the tree. And he said, you didn't think I was coming, did you? And her dad became a Christian and became a follower of Jesus. And he gave a bunch of money to CBN, gave a bunch of money to this church, put my kids through Christian school. And we still, he's been gone, I don't know, seven or eight years. And every, every, almost every day we get mail where he used to give to this organization, that organization, helping people. Because God changed his life. You didn't think I was coming, did you? How many know that you, got, you may have uh, your spouse and some of your family members? That's not the end of the story yet. It's not the end of the story. Would you lift your hands to the Lord? And uh, we're going to sing one song before we leave today. Would you lift your hands? Would you pray for your family? Would you pray for maybe you've got children that aren't welcome with Jesus? Maybe you've got, uh, maybe you have a spouse that's not following Jesus right now. And just lift their, their name up to the Lord in church today and say, Lord, I lift them up to you. Maybe you've got a son, a granddaughter that's not walking with Jesus. Just lift them up to the Lord and just pray for them. Lord, we just thank you that your grace is at work in our family. Just the way you raised up Timothy, he became a great bishop. He became a great leader in the early church. And you were at work in that family, even though that family was not perfect. And we thank you that your work in our families and your work in our community. And say this with me, Lord God. Your grace is on my family. In Jesus' name.